0: Like I want you to understand particularly today what Jesus is saying Are you ready Let's go What are you seeking What are you seeking in life uh, One of my favorites uh, yeah, as a kid I loved you know, love movies and some of my favorite movies were action adventure movies I mean, come on, Indiana Jones, in the 80s growing up, I mean, there was nothing better than Indiana Jones movie. Now, to my breaking heart, my kids refuse, and or they watch the first one, and they hate it. Like, I this song you can't comprehend, how could they hate this movie? And one of the reasons why I love Indiana Jones, and Star Wars, well, much is that there's a quest, there's a journey, they're after to do something, to accomplish something. And there's barriers along the way, but there's excitement, right? sometimes humor, and I love those kinds of things. Even uh, video games that I like, I, I used to like to play. Uh, I can't play any of the new ones, it's too complicated, too many buttons, too many things that I have to know, but I'm just not capable of doing it. But Mario World, love it, there's a quest, there's a journey, there's something to accomplish, it, it takes a while. Zelda, some of you might not even know what that is, but there's a quest, a journey, you have this problem solve along the way, and then, You accomplish something. I think that's really a part of all of us in our human nature. I am not a risk taker. I am not, in my life, an adventure seeker. I mean, I do some adventurous things, but normally I'm like, I'm going to hold back a little bit on those kind of things. But I think a part of us, we all have a sense of adventure in our life, or we're all seeking something in our life. There's a constant quest because I think we know that we're not satisfied with the status quo. That there's something else to be had. Perhaps you're seeking rest. I just want quiet and peace and rest. Perhaps you're a venture seeker and you're looking for the next challenge or hurdle. Perhaps you're working and you're like, I just want to get to retirement. Whatever that is. Or maybe you're seeking happiness. I just want to be happy. Maybe you're seeking wisdom. I want to know how to skillfully live in this life. There's lots of things we can be seeking. What are you seeking? As Jesus calls his first disciples at the very beginning of the gospel of John, in John 1, 3, 5, 3, 9, it says this. The next day, again, John, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, catch this. This is what they said to him. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, the answer to the question of what is he? We want to know where you are staying. Now, if you were here last week, that is the same word as he's gone to a place, a room for you. Or the same word as he abides with the Father, and he wants you to abide with him. It's that same same word of staying or dwelling. They're asking Jesus, where do you dwell? Where do you reside? Where do you put down roots? This is the answer. When he asks them, what are you seeking? It's a good answer. I don't think they know it's a good answer. I don't think I have a clue what's, what's going on here. And what does Jesus respond? In the upper room, it is just after the Last Supper he has all the disciples. It is in the shadow of the cross. In just a few hours, he, Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be put in the grave. And these are, in sense, his final remarks to his disciples. And in John 14, 1 through 4, he read this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Because he just told them they were going to betray him. All of them were going to betray him. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it we're not so, would well, I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself. And that where I am, you may be also. I mean, this is the answer to the question of the very beginning. Where are you staying? disciples. And now he says, I am going now. And I will come back. And I will bring you there. And you know where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. In the midst of, of their betrayal, Jesus is going to prepare a place. In this metaphor that he's using, right, this room, this father's room, in, in, his, in his house, it is a metaphor for it's heaven. The kingdom of heaven. He's going to prepare a place in the kingdom of heaven for him. And we know the biblical witness, the, the declaration of the kingdom of heaven, or what we would just call heaven, is not a later proposition. The kingdom of heaven, like, oh, that's going to exist. It's not a place that you rise up to in the skies. The kingdom of heaven is an inbreaking invasion. Into this world because it is the kingdom of heaven is where God reigns. What sin does at the very beginning, what sin does is basically the acknowledgement that you no longer reign, God, or we don't want you to reign, and we're going to take control. And you're a reign. I mean, God never loses control, but sin is the thing I'm going to take control, and so we're going to build the word empire. So my kingdom, my kingdom is going to break in again, and all are going to see that I reign and I rule, and that is the kingdom of God. It's the already, not yet. It's coming. It's already here. And Jesus, the key phrase of He's going. He's going to prepare a place, and He will come and bring us back. The important thing I want you to understand in John 14, what He's clearly saying, it's not in your ability to break in the kingdom of heaven. It's not in your ability to prepare a place to make yourself reside in this kingdom of heaven. It's not in your moral ability to get to heaven as if it was there was an entrance for you to get into by yourself. The purpose of all this and what he's clearly saying is that God wants to dwell Wants to room and abide with his people. Together, not in a specific location, but in all locations. In heaven and earth. God wants to dwell with his people. Jesus is saying, I am going, so I can show you where the Father stays, abides, and rooms. And Jesus said, he's saying I With the father i always abide you want to know where i stay i abide i stay with the father whether i'm in galilee whether i'm in jerusalem whether i'm on the cross i abide and stay with the father we dwell together this is the goal of god this is the goal of the father that his people stay, abide, and dwell with him forevermore in every location, in every time. I just want you to understand, this is the goal of the Bible. Sin breaks in, creates a separation, we'll talk more about that in a moment, but God's goal is to solve it so he can dwell with his people, that you can dwell and stay with him. In verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Now, Thomas is being a little literalistic. and uh, I don't know if you've ever been literalistic in your life. He's taking the exact thing someone's saying, and like, oh, that's exactly what you mean. Now, it's not Thomas' fault, because those are Jesus' words. And he's like, oh, you're going physically somewhere on this earth. We want, how, but we don't know that, so how do we know the way? You tell us, Jesus, where are you are going? Of course, Jesus is not talking. I'm literally going somewhere on this earth. He's being <coughs> metaphorical. I'm breaking in the kingdom of heaven. This is not your job. You cannot do what I'm about to do. You cannot create the opportunity for people to dwell with God and me. That's not in your ability. This is what Jesus... But Thomas can't understand. The rest of the disciples can't And you can't really blame Thomas. Jesus, of course, is he's telling them also, I'm going to the cross, which is the means and the avenue in which it's the way in which you and I, anyone, can dwell with God. It is the only way. His cross, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. You and I cannot do this. You remember, like they say, oh, we'll die for you. And Jesus said, You can't go where I'm going. You can't do what I'm doing. It's not in your ability to do this. And you won't even want to. Thomas just thinks it's walking distance. It's much more than that, it's to the cross. Jesus is talking about union with God. Heaven is not a destination, it is heaven is this with God wherever god is that is heaven and if you're united with him that is heaven the only way is the cross of christ and then we get to this verse which is familiar verse maybe a memorized verse in john 14:6 and jesus said to thomas in response i am the way i am the truth and i am the life no one comes to the father Except through me. I mean, those are pretty strong words. Jesus' response is like, it's to Tom's like, you don't know the way. I mean, Tom's like, we don't know the way. How, uh, how can we know where you're going? And Jesus' is saying is, I am the way. And the key part of this is that last part no one comes to the Father except through me. It's, the focus on verse 6 is Jesus is the way. It's not he's, not he's not trying to like this tripartite thing that he's trying to get you to understand. He's trying to get you to say I am the way to the Father. And he is the way to the Father, to heaven, to the kingdom of God because he is the truth. He is the way because he is life. Because he's united with God. God Father and him are one. Jesus is the way because he is the true manifestation and revelation of God. The God who is truth. Jesus is the way because he alone is the author, sustainer, and giver of life. He was at creation, breathing out his words, creating you and I and everything else. This is Jesus is saying, is I'm not a way to the Father. He's saying, I am the only way for you to know and be and stay with the Father. I am the revelation of the Father. There's this poem, uh, Thomas Akempis, who is a 14th century theologian, priest, and this is a meditation he wrote on this verse, and I think it's beautiful and I want to read it to you. Follow thou me. I am the way and the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou must follow, the truth which thou must believe, the life for which thou must hope, I am the invulnerable way, the infallible truth, the never-ending life. I am the straightest way, the sovereign truth. Life, true. Life, blessed. Life, uncreated. That life, uncreated, in case you're, uh, it's it because Jesus is not created. He always is. Because he's God. No one comes to dwell and abide and room and come in union with the father except through Jesus and what he does at the cross no one clarity in his words we get this not just in this passage but throughout the whole new testament jesus says in john 10:9 i am the door if anyone enters by me he will be saved and will go in and find pasture, another metaphor. Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else. Salvation being union with God, being brought together again with God. For there is no, one, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. First Timothy 2.4, this is Paul writing. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, that man Christ Jesus. The mediator, the one that speaks on our behalf. To the Father, who, who dies on our behalf. We'll talk more about that in a moment. John 1 14. And the word Jesus became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. A glory that only God has. The way to which Jesus, to where Jesus abides, he stays and he resides in rooms is being united with Jesus in his death and resurrection. It's through the cross. The, the issue in our life, the issue which creates the necessity of this way, is sin. And sin, I just want, I alluded before, is, is on a very de- definition of sin, kind of a basic level. I mean, there's all the wicked things that we do, but the very essence of sin is the denial that God is king, that he is ruler, that he is ruler of all things, that he is sovereign, that he is all powerful. It's a denial of that. It's, it's a turning your back. This is what Adam and Eve did. This is what we all do, is we turn our backs to God. And we think we're the center. We think we're the ones that have this will that can do anything. We think we're the ones that have control. And we ignore and forget. And, and out of that, this, out of that comes all these things that we do. And all of us are corrupted with this. This is this is ingrained in every one of us. And you may struggle with this in your day-to-day walk, is that you forget about God. That's because you're a sinner. It's because you have this disease in you. Trust me, one day when you're fully united with God, beyond this life, you will never forget about God. There'll be never a moment when you forget about his reign and rule. But you and I do that now. Often. I do it. I'm, I'm going to be done preaching here in this moment. I'm probably doing it right now that I forget about God, right? I I'll do it all the time. It's in my very nature. Sin puts us in a state of physical and, and, and spiritual separation. Death. This is what God, like you remove yourself from the author, sustainer of life, you are now walking dead people. And God is a holy, perfect, good God. And those that are we become unholy and, and, and corrupted. He, he, can't, he can't be with that. He can't be with that. So there's a separation, a barrier. Not that he puts up, that we put up. God's from the very beginning says. I am going to be the one that solves this barrier. I am going to be the one that solves this sin problem. You and I can't because our corruption never even allows us to see the problem or never has the ability to want to fix the problem. But God's will is to fix this problem from the very beginning. And only he can do it. God is not okay with the state of our separation. God is not okay with the state of our not understanding that he is king, that he is ruler. This is not an egotistical God. This is a God that understands that our way is a terrible way and it proves itself out over and over again. And his way, his rule is the only one that puts us at rest and at ease. God takes on he represents us. God comes down in human flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. He takes on our humanity. Doesn't take on our sin, our sinful nature. He doesn't do that. He takes on so we can actually begin and we hear it in the gospels, begin to see the invisible God visible. We begin to see his character, so we get to send his will which is to fix this problem in us. He walks the path of obedience, showing us what it actually means to be united with the Father. And His way is the cross. And this is not an idea. I sometimes use this kind of, that that the cross is the character and the way in which God is changing into our character, and that is true. But you and I could not do what Jesus did. It is only Him that can do at the cross what He did. When we trust at the cross, when we trust what he has done, that he's taken on our sin, then he's taken on our penalty, we begin to be united with Him. Only him can do that. Last week, I told you the point of let your hearts not be troubled, believe in me, is that... uh, is that the truth? Is that Jesus goes and prepares a place for us? That so he's talking about the cross. That I'm going to the cross so I can pray and fix this, this barrier, that I can fix this bridge, that you can be united with God, that you can be united with me and the Father. You see, what Jesus does at the cross is he rexifies the separation by justifying us, making us right, making us good. The holy and perfect God justifies, tears down this wall, and makes us good. Now, you and I, it's declared good. And you and I, are like, no, I'm not good i got a lot of bad things about me. This is an ongoing process in life that God, God alone, is working in us through the Holy Spirit. And what he's going to tell us in a moment, and this later in John chapter 14, and he's going to create in this character, which he's already declared in us, his character so we can be holy and reside, dwell, room with God. More than that, more than that, Jesus at the cross defeats the evil nature all evil, the evil one in the world. He defeats the power of death in our lives. So you and I can live forever because death is the enemy of God. Jesus conquers this, death, sin, and evil at the cross by his death, by his resurrection, because death can't hold him down. He overcomes it by his ascension to the Father. Jesus pays the penalty of our sin. This is actually a really fascinating thing. You just think about when someone harms you, have you ever heard people, oh, you just need to forgive them. Mm. Mm. Here's the thing. You and I know forgiveness is not enough. I'm not saying don't forgive people. That, do not come away. Pastor, Reese, I don't need to forgive. That, <laughs> that is not what I am saying, right? I will also say uh, don't rush people to forgiveness, it's a process for you and I. But it's more than just forgiveness. Every sin that we commit, every in, think about the worst injustices in the world. The people that are really harmed, they want the people to pay for it. That's actually not a bad thing. It's a biblical thing. Every sin, every injustice, every harm in this world, there's a price to be paid. And it needs to be rectified. It's just not, God doesn't say, ah, I wipe it away. It's forgiven. But you see what he does at the cross? I mean, I just think about it. those that have really suffered. You, have, you know this sense. like, And we, we all have this. Right? We want revenge a little bit. We know we shouldn't. But God has revenge. God has his revenge at the cross. Because he pays the penalty. He pays the price. He pays the reparation. That's the word that's used in scripture. For all of the sin in the world, for your sin, he puts it upon himself. This is what the cross does it does not just forgiveness, he actually pays the penalty of sin. He forgives. This is why he does it, because he wants to forgive, he wants us to be united, but he pays the penalty of the sin. You see, there is either uh, God revenges sin either at the cross or he does it in your life because you have to bear the penalty of your sin. So either Jesus does it for you or you will bear the penalty. Jesus forgives, he redeems us only by his work at his cross and that's what he's saying, I am going to prepare the way which is the cross so that now you and I can dwell forever with God. You see, Jesus isn't a trailblazer when he goes to the cross. He's not not blazing a trail in which you must follow to that cross because you can't accomplish what he's doing. It is the exclusive action of Jesus that he alone can do. It's his way. It, It is his character in which we can follow and we can live by that example. But you and I cannot pay the penalty for other people's sin it's not who we are. We're united in his death and resurrection. This is the way, the only and exclusive way to be with God and be united is to be united with Jesus. Why is this the exclusive and only way? John 14, 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. I mean, you can just think, I mean, as we read this, we think of this conversation like, oh, you just, you just shaking your head with like, like, these poor disciples, did they not get what he is saying? It seems so clear to us now from our end, but, you know, that's not a proper perspective. Philip, like Moses, is asking for an immediate display of God. Moses asked this with God. When, God, when he encountered God, it's like, listen, I need to see something from you. Can you show me? Moses said in Exodus 3, 3, 18, please show me your glory. Please manifest yourself in front of me. Now Moses only gets to see the trailing edge of the back of God, that a little bit of glory. That's all he can. But standing right before all of them, Jesus is the, the visible God made invisible, the full glory of God revealed to them. It's much more. Then what Moses gets to see, these disciples get to see, and they get to walk with him for three years. They get to reside and be with him for three years. And here he says, can we just see a demonstration? Can we just see your glory? And Jesus like, what? Like, do you understand what I'm doing? Do you understand who I am? And they don't. It's okay that they don't. They will. Jesus is going to show them who he is by the work in which he's going to do at the cross, which is the full manifestation of the glory of God. In verses nine through 11, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Or another way he says it in John 10:30, I and the Father are one, we're connected, one mind, one will. Goes on in, in, in verse 10, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Jesus said, I am the work of the Father because the Father and I are one. What the Father does, I do. John says that earlier. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Another way of saying that is that I dwell and I reside with the Father and the Father dwells and resides with me. Or else, he says, or else believe on account of the works themselves, is, which is what triggers it for them. Because what he's saying for the works themselves is not just all the miracles which he's done in their presence, but the miracle that what is about to happen is his death and his resurrection. And then Jesus goes on and says, I'm going to promise you the Holy Spirit, which is the next few verses in John 14. John 10, 38. But but if you do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works. He says it again, believe the works, the death and resurrection, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am the Father. This is repeated refrain for them. They have the words and the revelation of God. The full revelation of God. They walk with it for three years. They're missing a few things, though, that you and I have the benefit of. First of all, they're missing the indwelling Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to promise that in a moment. And they're missing the work of the resurrection, which is the way in which they actually can be one with Jesus. This is such an important, you and I can never actually know who Jesus is and who God is unless his spirit indwells in us, unless he gives us, the, this is the good news, unless he gives us the, his spirit himself so we can recognize him. You and I do not have the moral ability, the clarity of our sight. We are broken in sin and we can never understand who God is unless he brings that grace and clarity and removes the blinders from our eyes. This is the act the good news of God. Jesus asked at the very beginning, right, in John 1, what are you seeking? In Matthew, he tells them in 6:33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Another way to say it is seek my righteousness, seek my character, understand who I am. All of us get lost in this journey, don't we, of life? All of us get lost in this journey with God. All of us. We get confused and we forget what we're seeking. And we begin to see other shiny things in the world. Or other shiny things that God promises, and we forget that we're actually seeking God. That God is actually seeking us. Sometimes we get confused that salvation is a destination and only a place, and that one day we'll be in heaven, right? I mean, that's a comforting thing. One day we'll be in a place, heaven and then you get to be with all your loved ones. And maybe that's true. I'm not saying it's not. And, but I think when we a little bit of that idea is that I'll be at rest, there'll be no more sin, and I get to do whatever I want. I'll have total freedom. I want you to understand, heaven is not heaven without God. God is heaven. God is heaven heaven. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. When you dwell and you reside with me, that's the inbreaking of heaven in your life. When he plants the Holy Spirit in you, that is the inbreaking of heaven, the kingdom of God in your life, which in our life, it's sometimes slow to break in, sometimes faster to break in.